0: At this time of Samhain, when the veils between the worlds are thin, through the power of one mind, with the pure love of one heart, we open a portal to the other side. We peel back the veil, and we call to those of our ancestors and beloved dead who would like to experience this time of magic with us. We invite them to be fully present in this sacred space, to see through our eyes, to move through our bodies, to speak through our words and to dance in this space with us until we close our circle when they will return across the great divide. We welcome the ancestors. Blessed be through the portal go through the gate enter and be reborn pass through the portal go through the gate enter and be reborn
1: Welcome, friends, fans, and colleagues. Uh, This is Karen Tate, and uh, you're back with me here at Voices of the Sacred Feminine. And no, this is not Samhain. (laughs) However, uh, our our topic yesterday and today at our special uh, doubleheader is about trance, uh, and it is about, in a sense, uh, lifting the veil and passing through the portal uh, and uh, connecting with our ancestors or the divine or um, uh, Laura, I believe. Uh, uh, Laura, what did you call the, the, the entities, if you will, um, helpers? Um?
2: Oh, I, uh, I call them spirit allies. And I would like to point out that it is coming up on Fallon in the southern hemisphere in just a few days. Ah, so okay. That's Good actually point. Even more point. even more appropriate than you thought. So, uh, there you
1: go. You know, it it uh, it works like that sometimes, mm-hmm. doesn't it? Uh you, you know, you you get yourself in a in a rhythm and uh, you don't even know uh you know how um you know how in sync you might actually be. So, yeah. uh, so anyway, um you know, as I said, this is part two, and uh, if by some chance you're tuning in today and you haven't uh, tuned in yesterday, you're going to want to go back and listen, because uh, yesterday was um, kind of our intro to Exploring Trance, and today we're going to delve deeper into the hidden depths in the human mind um, with, uh, with Laura Perry. She is my uh, expert guest today because uh, she has been practicing trance work, and and, uh, uh, transpossession and shamanic journeying For a number of years Since the 90s
0: And
1: um, I realized that uh, When I was reading uh, Janet Farrar and Gavin Bones A uh, newish book uh, Lifting the Veil uh, Of course Laura has been on the show many times Talking about, you know, Manoans. uh, But when I found out um, You know, she um, was well versed in this, which is a uh, uh, an interest of mine. Um, you know here we are we're delving in uh, going deeper for all of you out there and uh, we hope uh, you enjoyed yesterday and uh, and you enjoy today. So um, so Laura, um, any thoughts about yesterday's uh, conversation before um, we jump in and, and tackle um, you know the meatier parts today as we go a little deeper.
2: Well, it was uh, it was kind of nice for me to just go through uh, what trance is and what it's about. Um, I've been doing it long enough that I don't really stop and think about it a whole lot, and um, I I think it kind of refreshed my worldview to have to um to have to describe what it really is and what it isn't and the stereotypes and how it works um, so maybe maybe that's letting me see it in a new light, okay,
1: okay. Well, um, you know, today we're going to talk about uh, the methods uh, that uh, have been used throughout time to enter trance. Um, We'll delve into uh, maybe how long it takes the process to work, uh, maybe a little bit about ecstatic postures that are out there, uh, if that's a new. Uh, thing for you as it was for me. Uh, we're going to get into the brain waves, you know, uh, how they change when you're in, cha- uh, in trance. Uh, Laura will talk about some of her experiences. I may talk about some of mine. But um, I guess let's uh, start, Laura, with um, what's the difference between trance and possession? And I guess how are the two states uh, or activities related?
2: Okay, so yesterday we talked about how trance is a state of altered consciousness. Um, and so that's that's your baseline right there. Um, and trance isn't necessarily... Um, you're not necessarily doing anything in particular. You might be doing it just to experience that state of altered consciousness. So trance possession is being in that state. and um, inviting another entity or being to join you um, in your body essentially Um, the word possession can freak people out because of the way it's used in a Christian context but um, transpossession in a properly trained um, pagan ritual context is not is not um, an uncontrolled thing, and it's not. Um, it's, some, it's something that you invite the deity or, or the loa or, or other being to do. So it's voluntary. I guess is the word I'm looking for.
1: Okay, um, and we, we mentioned uh, quite often yesterday. Um, <clears throat> The book that I was I was using a lot, where uh, actually you had been quoted in uh, Janet uh, Jennifer or and Gavin Bone's book, uh, "Lifting the Veil," and uh, they they um, explain the possession or the channeling, uh, kind of you know as if the um, the priest or priestess who is doing that becomes almost like a hollow bone. Uh, to allow the deity or the ancestor, the spirit ally to inhabit their body. Some of the priestesses described it as their mind, their mind sort of went to the back, uh, took a back seat while uh, the, you know, the, the, I'm just going to say the deity uh, took a front seat. Um, I, I know the time it, it, kind of came on me, surprisingly, because I didn't think I was going to be able to do it. Um, I know I was very much there, but I sort of just surrendered to it, and um, it wasn't as if I couldn't have stopped what was going on um, from happening, uh, but I didn't want to, you know. Uh, right, I really yeah. did feel like I, you know, like ISIS was speaking through me, and I just sort of allowed you know because I trusted. Um, how does it you know from what you've learned or from your personal experience, how does that feel
2: for you? Um, so, well there are different levels of trans possession and I like the, uh, I like the metaphor of the car right so um, in the most basic simple trance possession you're still driving and the deity is in the passenger seat right so so that you're still in charge and and the deity is uh, is speaking through you as you allow them to do it Um, and then if you switch those two if you're in the passenger seat and uh, the deity is in the driver's seat. That's kind of that sounds like what you were doing with ISIS in that particular um, in that particular time. Cause you've, you've told me more details of that outside of uh, outside of this conversation. So um, so it's like you're there and you could stop it if you wanted to. You could reach over and and press on the brake if you wanted to, but you're choosing to let the deity drive. Um, and there is. Another, uh, a, an even deeper um, method where you're kind of in the back seat and you could maybe stop it with help if you wanted to. Um, but that's, that's a little even deeper. Um, personally, most of the time when I do trance in ritual, to me, when I open myself up to the deity, it feels like slipping on a familiar garment. That's the best description I can come up with. You know, it's a deity that I already have a relationship with. They are um, their presence is comfortable and comforting to me in most cases, um, and it feels just like um, just like slipping on a favorite outfit you know it's not me it's them and I'm still inside it but I'm not necessarily what's showing on the outside or what other people are hearing Um, there is a slightly uh, slightly deeper uh, kind of experience that I've had a few times where instead of the deity sort of coming down on me in the drawing down the goddess um, kind of uh, kind of format it feels to me like the the uh, deity comes up behind me and sort of unzips me from the back and steps inside if that makes any sense mm-hmm. and that's a more um, that's a, a much deeper level of transpossession and a much greater surrender to the deity it requires a lot of trust Um I remember one, one ritual in particular um, with a group that I was with, uh, I guess, back in the mid-'90s, um, that uh, we, were, uh, we had invoked uh, Sulis Minerva uh, in the form of the Lady of the Lake, essentially. And she showed up, and I felt her coming up behind me and starting to unzip me, and I just said no. Um, It freaked me out. I wasn't ready for it. I hadn't planned on it. Um, And I wasn't comfortable with her presence in that particular ritual. Um, You can say no. You have to realize that you might be uh, giving up a profound experience, but then if you're not comfortable doing it, then maybe um, you need to develop a deeper relationship with that deity and take some more time, and uh, and be prepared. So that's just that's my so, experience. Laura, I'm that, sure other people feel it different ways.
1: Okay, um, so in that experience, when this happened in that ritual, um, was that the intent of the ritual? I mean, was it a thing where? Uh, the HP uh, invited the deity in and she was supposed to pick a person uh, to inhabit, or maybe the HP was calling her into herself, but she tapped on your shoulder. Um, I, how, I, I guess I'm just curious how the ritual came about.
2: Oh, we had, uh, this. it was a bardic ritual, actually. It was not a standard Wiccan circle. And... Um, we had called the goddess in to be among us we we were not specifically um, we were not specifically drawing her down into any particular person and um, a number of years later uh, after I had done some work with uh, sun goddesses turns out Sulis is a sun goddess um, of all things uh, I realized that I had a relationship with her just in another form, um, but I didn't know that at the time. I didn't make the connection, and it uh, it startled me enough that I just closed off and said, no, I don't want to do this right now. Um, so, right. yeah, we, we, weren't, we weren't specifically trying to invoke transpossession possession in anyone, but I'm one of those naturally susceptible people, so...
1: Well, you know, this sort of of brings up sort of a parallel um, topic. Um, You know, some people say that, you know, goddess is one and all her different aspects are just facets, you know, or goddesses like the divine tree and all of the different goddesses are just her different leaves. But it seems like um, at least when you're looking into this trance work and you read about people's trance experiences, um, they are very different and unique as opposed to being one monotheistic energy.
2: Or would
0: you yeah, explain it um, differently?
2: My Okay, so my experience with this comes from two different directions. So one is... Um, the research I've done and the and the um, spirit work I've done, working back from um, just the recent pre-Christian time back into the Neolithic, um, and it looks like there probably was at one point thousands and thousands of years ago a single goddess who had many different facets, and eventually she was kind of separated out into uh, multiple different individual deities but then um, when I when I try to understand this um, with the help of my spirit allies the answer that I get most of the time is that individuality the way humans experience it doesn't really apply to the divine and so when we're trying to uh, when we're trying to characterize deities as either individuals or not Um, it's almost like that doesn't apply and so what we need to focus on is just how we experience them and how we experience them um, for most people that I know is as individuals in in one way or another and so um, rather than try to force a definition on something that's so far beyond human that I'm pretty sure I'll never really understand it. Um, i I've learned to sort of accept that um, how I experience it is enough.
1: okay um well, in that and you know just a final thought on this, um, I, I what also came to mind is the story of the golden Ass, and when Apollias, uh You know uh, Has Isis appear to him And she uh, Regales him with her many Names and She names a slew Of goddesses um, mm-hmm. Of all different traditions And names as if to say You know she of 10,000 Names you know as we um, So often refer to her Anyway so um uh, all right, so let's. So we shouldn't get hung up on that uh, when we're uh, when we're doing this trance work, then.
2: Yeah, I mean, however you experience it is however you experience it, and um, I think it's really unfair of any uh, any person or any tradition to force a definition uh, on your interior experiences. You know, that's that's okay. just my my opinion. Okay.
1: Okay. Um, Now, um, again, I'm going to keep going back to the book like I did yesterday because it was so informative. Um, When they were describing the trance possession, um, it was very difficult to have a sense of how long this took. You know, because when you're writing down a ritual, you know, um, you know that that isn't really something you're aware of. You kind of just write down the steps of the ritual. Uh, right. They did, you know, have the dialogue that would happen between the the questioner and the deity that had um, been called down into the priest or priestess. But you didn't really. I guess, if anything, it, it felt like to me it happened quickly. Because there were some rituals where it was almost as if on cue, uh, the deity appears after an invocation. Um, And I don't know, you know, that, (laughs) I guess if I were the one that had to do this, and I wasn't real well versed in it to begin with, that would feel like putting a lot of pressure on me to be able to make this happen at will you know, at, at, at the snap of a finger, on cue. You know, um, so I, 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 so which, what has your experience of this been?
2: Well, I mean, you don't start out the very first time you ever step into a circle um, having the goddess drawn down on you. That's, that's not, you know, that's not how it works. You, you don't get to the point of doing that until you have attended so many rituals that you practically got the format memorized. Um, and uh, at that point, if you've been doing it for a long time and if you've been watching other people do the trance possession, um, then it's, it's a familiar activity. It's, it's not scary. And the set and setting automatically... Um, trigger that expectation for you. You know that if you're wearing your ritual garments and you're stepping into the circle and they're doing the various things that you do um, to format the ritual, then your mind automatically says, oh, the next thing that happens is the goddess comes into the priestess. Right? So it becomes an expectation. And if you eventually become the person who is the priestess, then you still have that expectation. So you've got all of those triggers set up in that ritual that you've seen and participated in and done so many times that when you get to that point, it can be almost automatic.
1: Okay. Um, But now does it ever happen that, you're there waiting and uh the deity doesn't respond and uh you're there waiting and nothing happens.
2: Yeah, that's why they wrote the charge of the goddess. <laughs> um Well so the priestess so the priestess has something to say. Um okay yeah. so
0: Yeah, speak to
2: early um early Wicca and, and what it is now, um are in some respects fairly different. Um, you can't uh, you can't do possessions easily. Most people can't unless they're in a small group of people they trust. Okay, and so these are people who would have trained with them. Um, and I, I don't know what happened. Um, Within the history of Wicca, that transpossession became less of a thing. I don't know how that happened. I wasn't there to watch it. Um, But for some reason, at some point, um, either the training um, fell away or or people didn't feel comfortable doing it, or I don't know what. Um, But instead of the goddess... um, being invoked into the priestess and then speaking through her extemporaneously Um, if you've got a priestess there and the people are waiting for the goddess to say something and the goddess has not come down to possess the priestess and you've got to have something to say and that's the charge of the goddess Um, although I will tell you from personal experience um, the charge of the goddess in and of itself can also Invoke the goddess into a priestess. I've seen that happen. So um, I guess coming at that from a couple different directions.
1: Right, right. Yeah, um, uh, yeah. The authors of the book did mention that it got to the point where, uh, because the the clergy were not able to draw down uh, the goddess into their um, you know, HP or whatever, It you know, it just sort of became a substitute for that and everybody just right. sort of accepted, you know, accepted the fact that, well, you know, maybe she's here in the circle, she's just not speaking or something to that effect. Um, okay, so um, let's... Uh, Let's go ahead and uh, maybe start talking about the different methods that have been used uh, throughout uh, time to, um, you know, help folks, uh, you know, enter this trance state. I, I know uh, Janet and Gavin were definitely against using hallucinogens, and I and I had to wonder, was that just what they were saying publicly? Um, or if they really believe that, and that's you know, and they don't really use you know hallucinogens even privately. But that was their take on hallucinogens, and um, I wonder what what yours is, Laura.
2: Okay, well I don't know what they do privately either, but um, I can state unequivocally that it is not necessary to use any kind of um, chemical support to reach trance states. Um, and the cultures, ancient and modern That have used uh, hallucinogens of various kinds um, Have always done it in a very controlled setting Whoever's running the ritual knows what they're doing They know the right dose They know the right um, setting And how to do it at the right point in the ritual So it's not, um, it's not a bunch of hippies uh, madly experimenting with drugs. It's um, it's a much more purposeful um, activity that's done by people who are well trained. But you absolutely do not need hallucinogens. I mean, we we are literally um, our brains are literally wired for this stuff, um, and so um, it's it's not difficult. Um, many of us are very tense and anxious, not just recently, but in the modern world in general. And that can make it more difficult to get there, but um, you can uh, do an end run around that just with practice. If you uh, take whatever method you're using and just repeat it until it becomes an automatic expectation that you're gonna reach that mindset, mindset when you experience whatever method you're using. Um, then it's going to work. Okay.
1: So, what? Um, um, let's start with one method, and then we'll probably take a break because we're at the half hour, and uh, then we'll delve into some of the others. So, um, which one do you want to
2: tackle first? Okay. Well, how about drumming because that's the most common. Um, okay. Any kind. Any kind of uh, steady rhythm. Uh, there are some. Uh, there are some traditions that swear that you have to have a rhythm at 120 beats per minute, and there are other traditions that start out slow and go faster and then slow back down. Um, there are some traditions that have a particular uh, a particular drum beat that's used to uh, take you to or to connect you with each specific uh, deity or entity. Um, but yeah, I mean, essentially any kind of rhythmic. Sound um, is going to entrance you. That's that's just how that works. It literally changes your brain state. So
1: you're, so I think you said that the rhythm um, maybe doesn't necessarily matter. It's the continuity of it. It's the the repetition to just sort of hang in there with it. Is is that the idea?
2: Um to some extent yeah um different different drum beats uh which depends on your tradition, but in a lot of different uh, a lot of different paths, specific drum beats are associated with specific deities um, or or other kinds of or other kinds of spirit allies so if you want a particular deity, then you use that deity's drum beat um, so and um but generally speaking uh, yeah the main the main thing is just that it be consistent and if it's a really good um, shamanic journeying type uh, drum recording is going to sound really boring to someone who's listening to it just as background music because that's not what it's designed for okay it's designed to be rhythmic and repetitive so that it uh, so that it entrains your uh, brainwave cycle and it triggers your nervous system to alter your consciousness.
1: Okay. So um, I know you did some research on on brainwaves. Uh, Is this sort of the point where you think it's most logical to bring that in?
2: Sure, we can do that. Um, So I, did, I, I went and looked this up after you asked uh, at the end of last night's uh, show. Um, so I found some interesting things, and I'm not a neurologist or any kind of expert. This is just some interesting information I found. Um, so we talk about being in, like, the beta brain state when we're awake and alert and doing our everyday work, or being in alpha or theta or whatever. So it turns out that all of the frequencies of brainwaves are present all the time in your brain okay it's not that all the other kinds go away and there's only one left they're all there all the time but one is typically going to predominate so when someone says you're in an alpha brainwave state you've also got beta and theta and delta brainwaves going in the background but it's the the one that's the most predominant is alpha. Um, and alpha brain waves are related to light meditation, light trance, um, relaxation, creativity. A lot of people who do art or music um, will be in an alpha brain state while they're doing that. Um, theta. Uh, Theta brainwaves are associated with deeper meditation, deep trance, and deep hypnosis. And what I find especially interesting about that is theta is the brainwave uh, state that we dream in. So, in a manner of speaking, trance, deep trance, and deep hypnosis are like purposeful waking dream states, like a kind of awake, lucid dreaming so I think that's pretty wild.
1: So um, when so when this drumming happens, um, do you know which state it induces?
2: Well, it's going to start with alpha and then slowly shift towards theta if you go that deep. And okay. then it will shift back. And then okay. it will shift back up through alpha um, as you're coming out of it.
1: Okay. Okay. And, okay. The, and actually, um, and, the
2: same the same process happens when you're falling asleep and waking up.
1: Okay. Okay. Um, I I will just throw in as a tidbit here. Um, I, uh, I I was listening to a show on television about um, that there there being a a hundred and ten hertz vibration at a lot of different sacred sites that might. Uh, induce some sort of connection, uh, you know, to another plane or a deity or something like that. And because I traveled to so many sacred sites, I thought, hmm, you know, I, I want to look into this, you know, because obviously like the Hypogeum, for instance, or, um, you know, uh, uh, Newgrange, you know, different places like that, these um, uh, you know, these, especially these underground places. And um, I have to say I went on YouTube uh, because I had no idea what this 110 hertz was going to sound like or if it would have any effect. And I probably listened to it for about thirty thirty minutes uh hour maybe part of the time it was in the background while I was doing email part of the time uh i I just sort of focused on it you know, and only it and I had the most vivid dreams that night um and I couldn't help but wonder if that uh you know if if that hundred and ten hertz induced uh those dreams um Anyway, I just <laughs> uh throw that tidbit in there if anybody wants to experiment with that. Uh I thought that was pretty
2: cool. Yeah, that is interesting. Um I think the uh the ancient architects probably knew a lot more than we give them credit for.
1: Yeah, I I agree. Uh we we've, we've lost so much knowledge. All right, well let's take our uh half hour break here and um let's see I think we're going to hear from Miss Laura Perry
2: (laughs) the Minoans of ancient Crete come to life in books and tarot by Laura Perry explore the sacred feminine in labrys and horns and Ariadne's thread embrace your creative side with the Minoan coloring book and the Minoan tarot discover all these and more at lauraperryauthor.com
1: And there she is, and we have her here in the in the flesh tonight. <laughs> it's, um, it's really Laura weird Perry. listening
2: to <laughs> listening to my own voice like that. It's very strange.
1: <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. Um, you you have really good stuff out there, so I'm glad to. Um share it with folks so um, so we're talking a little bit about sound as a method to induce trance, and um it makes me think about my chance and uh, the um. And of course, mm-hmm. if you go on YouTube and, and you're digging around looking for this 110 hertz, you'll find um, other vibrational sounds that they say is the God vibration. Um, gee, you know, I, 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 you could probably make a lifelong study of this. But it, um, uh, you know, are you besides drumming? Are you aware of any other sound that? Um, you know that that triggers trance.
2: Well, rhythmic chanting will work. Um, any uh, the I think the main point is that it's rhythmic and repetitive. Um, even something as uh, even something as complex as a prayer, if it's something that you're that you've memorized and that you don't really have to think about, um, is is trance inducing so someone um a buddhist or a catholic who has prayer beads and they're they're uh, saying their prayer or chanting their prayer over and over again with the prayer bead that's also trance inducing um and i mean there are things other than sound but yeah sound i think is the most common because it's easy uh something about it is very triggering to the brain Well, and and
1: um, I'm thinking about some other uh, some other things uh, that are sound related, mantras, um, for instance, uh, which is essentially a rhythmic chant. Yeah, yeah, and um, and there was also too uh, the the guy who was uh, the Artemist expert uh, was talking about the Ephesian letters, which are like about eight. Uh, greek words related to artemis that supposedly when they are said uh, but they have to be said you know there was something about they had to be said right because if the vibration wasn't right because the words were said incorrectly you artemis did not appear so um i, I mean uh, I, I don't know. I haven't tried myself, you know, but I have heard that ice, uh, Artemis has appeared uh, when these Ephesian letters were, you know, spoken. Um, and I. it made me wonder, is it the vibration? Is it the repetition? Is it the words? Is it all of it? I mean, this is, I don't know, I just find this all so intriguing. It's like a, a mystery I mean, puzzle.
2: It could be all of the above i mean the the Ephesian letters that I'm familiar with are from the Greek magical papyri and um and so we don't know how uh, corrupted they became over time compared to what they were originally but um yeah there is there is some evidence that not just um that not just rhythm but also specific sounds um uh, specific like vowel sounds can um can connect us to specific deities or specific kinds of energy, so yeah, that's certainly a possibility okay,
1: um, all right, so besides sound, um, well, have we covered sound adequately, you think, or have we uh, forgotten something along the lines of sound?
2: I think we've I think we've covered it pretty thoroughly,
1: okay, all right, so what would be one of the next methods, Laura?
2: Well, I think probably one of the the oldest methods that goes back to probably as long as we've been human is sitting in the dark staring at a flickering fire. I don't know if you've ever uh if you've ever been out camping or just out in a very dark backyard um with a fire going and uh you uh you know, it's all dark around you and so essentially all you see is the fire. And it's not exactly rhythmic, but it does something to your visual cortex, and uh, that is actually a very easy people, e- easy way to get people into trance. Um, and I'm sure that uh, that that had an effect, like when the bards were telling their stories uh, on a dark night with a fire, that uh, kind of helps uh, carry people away.
1: Right, right, yeah, watching those uh those flames dance uh, it can be
2: hypnotic and and you can even do it just with a candle, honestly, as long as it's if you're in a dark room, so that the candle is really the only thing that catches your attention, um, yeah, and, yeah, and you can do it with with other kinds of lights too. I have actually tranced to the blinking lights on a Christmas tree before, so um okay
1: um and well we know uh food deprivation but uh if someone's got you know diabetes or something like that they would have to uh be careful with that um as would you know maybe somebody who's epileptic would have to maybe be careful with the blinking lights
2: right well a lot of the methods that uh, that ancient cultures used verged on the dangerous um a lot of the time because um, if you want to get into really deep trance, you have to kind of push yourself loose from your usual connection to your body. Um, and that comes easier for some people and harder for some people. And, um, yeah, I mean, some of, I think part of the reason that some cultures use hallucinogens is that that might be a safer way than, you know, going without food for days on end until you start hallucinating. So there's that.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I know that um, that time I was triggered uh, unexpectedly in that class. The class was on aspecting. Um, it just so happened, um, I mean, it was a three-day intensive, and it was after we had uh, been up late on Friday night, you know, doing all sorts of stuff, uh, went home, got up the next morning, had to be there for like eight, sleep-deprived, food-deprived. You know, we went right into this aspecting ritual. And uh, so, I mean, I hadn't been purposefully, um, depriving myself of food on purpose for days, but I can't help but think that even that little bit um, you know, uh, of lack of food and maybe lack of sleep uh, helped me um, bridge the divide, so to speak. I don't know if that's a good metaphor, um, but uh, I, I don't know. You know I, I think it, it might have helped me get there.
2: Yeah, I don't doubt it. Um, yeah, may bridge the divide. Maybe um, more like let go a little bit because we do tend
3: to, to
2: cling very closely to our bodies and be very in our bodies a lot of the time. And to trance, you have to kind of let go of that and allow your awareness to shift, um, to shift away from your usual physical form so, um, yeah, there are all sorts of ways to do that.
1: Now, is is there a way you can explain that or is it something someone just has to practice?
2: Um, really, you, you do have to practice it and it's helpful to practice with an actual teacher who can keep an eye on you and, and can give you immediate feedback um, or, or at the very least, you know, have a reliable book to give you some guidelines, um, but yeah, um, a lot of it is uh, you need to do it enough that it becomes that you sort of rub a groove in the universe, you know, so that it becomes habit and so that it becomes familiar and and it, so that it feels familiar enough that it feels safe to be doing it. Because um, a lot of people don't want to let go because they're scared. And that's completely understandable Given the attitude that our modern uh, materialistic society has toward this kind of stuff But I mean really yeah. you're not going to get lost Or get stuck and not be able to come back to yourself um, That doesn't happen um, if, if, uh, if things go badly about the worst that's going to happen Is you're going to feel bad afterwards but uh, okay
1: well and you know and and for the potential experience um, I don't know this is just for me I'm not suggesting for anybody else but I think I'd be willing to
2: risk that yeah well I mean everybody has
0: to decide for themselves yeah
1: yeah Um, Okay, so we we talked about sound, we talked about the hallucinogens. Oh, the only thing I wanted to mention about the hallucinogens, I was thinking about the Demeter Persephone ritual, uh, where I think Carl Ruck, he's supposed to be an expert on uh, those mysteries. And uh, I believe he said he thought they were using uh, mushrooms. Uh, But anyway, um, you know, we're talking about that isn't really necessary. Um, so, uh, so hallucinogens, uh, sound, um, sleep, and food deprivation. Um, you talked about the postures uh, a little bit yesterday. Um, did you want to go into maybe what some of those postures were? Um, you, you named a couple that were Minoan, I think, um, in in nature.
2: Yeah, well, a lot of people are familiar with the Minoan salute. Uh, which is a person standing upright with their, um, with their arm raised and you have your, uh, your hand curled into a loose fist and the back of your hand is against your forehead. And um, we use it in modern Minoan paganism as a, um, as a posture of reverence, as a way to salute the divine, um, whether that's a deity present in ritual or... Um, Something in nature like a river or a tree or a mountain But it can also be used as an ecstatic posture um, A lot of ecstatic postures come down to us in the form of figurines So there are um, these beautiful little marble figurines um, From cycladic graves From um, Bronze Age and late Neolithic cycladic graves And the um, the pose that they're in They're lying down and they have their arms folded across their abdomen in a particular way, and that is a very effective um, ecstatic posture. But the the thing about ecstatic postures is that they kind of um, tune your radio to a specific station, so to speak. So like the the cycladic postures, those figurines represent um, spirit workers whose job it was to guide the spirit of the dead, to the underworld. And so if you use that ecstatic posture, then you're going to go on an underworld journey. Um, if you use the Minoan salute, you can use that to connect to specific uh, specific deities, particularly uh, the earth goddess Rhea, but also some others. Um, there's the singing shaman posture. That one uh, shows up in cultures around the world, including in Minoan figurines. And um, that one probably goes back to the Paleolithic. And it appears to be a more generalized pose just to induce trance. Um, And just holding these poses, if um, if you are experienced with trance, just holding one of the poses for an extended period of time will do it. If you're not experienced with trance, then you probably need to combine the posture with some other uh, some other method of trance induction like um, like drumming or like uh, focusing on your breath and counting your breath or something like that
1: okay Um, well um, you know and and I realize from person to person it's going to be different Uh, it's going to be different based on you know experience all of that stuff but um i don't know is there some sort of rough guide um you could maybe say i mean would you have to do that for 10 minutes 30 minutes an hour and a half um i mean how long should you try if nothing happens
2: okay so um so here's my experience and this also this is um this is going to depend like you said, on, on, um, on the particular person's experience. Um, going back to the, the Demeter and Persephone ritual, I think maybe hallucinogens were used in rituals like those because the participants didn't normally do trance, right? It was not something they were trained in. These were people who were coming to this festival for this one set of rituals, and they didn't really have any trance training, and so the hallucinogen took the place of uh, an extended amount of experience. But um, if, you're, if you're starting out and you just want to try an ecstatic posture, um, or even if you want to just try something simple like um, sitting cross-legged and um, counting your breaths, for most people, if you're, uh, if you're listening to drumming um, or if you're counting your breaths, the thing is you don't notice it. That's the trick. If you're noticing how you're feeling then you're not in trance yet okay if if you're noticing what's going on if you're thinking wow i'm kind of relaxed but you know then you're not in trance yet when you hit trance you stop noticing and just start being so that and and
1: um, didn't you and, and didn't you say something yesterday about you don't even maybe feel the discomfort of the posture Uh, When you're actually in trance
2: Yeah I don't There are um, There are some ecstatic poses I mean I don't do the ones I don't do anything that actually hurts I'm not a masochist But there are some poses where like my arms get tired And stuff like that Um, And so I do find that a little distracting For the first couple of minutes Um, But then if I let myself sink down into trance I don't even notice it It's like I forget I have a body And I'm just the spirit at that point, okay. Um, so yeah, is you really you stop noticing and just start experiencing?
1: But what do you what do you think the time frame would be? Um, I mean, if after a half hour you
2: you've
1: um, not accomplished it, would you say okay, I'll try another day?
2: Well, what most people do when they're starting out is that they'll do. Um, They'll uh, get a drumming album of some sort, and they'll pick a particular uh, track on it that might be maybe fifteen or twenty minutes long, and use that. Um, and just do that one over and over again. Um, and it doesn't you don't have to do ecstatic postures. You can just I don't recommend lying down because you'll probably fall asleep, but you can sit um, or stand in any comfortable posture and just um, listen to the drumming and, and just let it wash through you. Um, so, yeah, 15 or 20 minutes. Honestly, when I have taught people ecstatic postures, unless they're, unless they're particularly upset, uptight and anxious when we're doing it, um, most people who are focusing on the posture will slip into trance literally in like two or three minutes if that's all you're doing and not trying and if if you're not also trying to you know be in a ritual and pay attention to all of those things if you're just if you're just allowing yourself to be with that rhythm you know with no expectations no expectations no you know and And for some people, um, they'll get there and then they'll pop right back out of it because it feels foreign if if you're not um, i've I have found that it does seem to be a little easier for um, artists and musicians and writers and the kind of people who hover in the alpha brain state a lot of time, a lot of the time during their awake hours anyway um, so, uh, to them, trance states feel a little more familiar. Um, but to people okay. who, but to people for people who tend to stay more firmly in that beta brain state, um, it can feel it's not scary, but it feels different, and that might be enough to sometimes pop you back out after a couple minutes, and that's okay. You just take a breath and relax and go again. I mean, it's not. It's not a competition. It's an experience that, you, uh, that you're just going with. So.
1: Okay. And so you mentioned breath. Breath is another method. Um, does it have to be a particular breath, like a 3-4 breath, or can it just be you're focused on the in and out, the in and out, the in and out?
2: Yep, just focused on your breath. Um, some people count breaths. Um, Some people count beats You know, the three beats in and three beats out Kind of thing Um, Just focusing on your breath Is rhythmic It's every bit as rhythmic as drumming And if You're doing it in a quiet setting So that you're not Distracted by any other sounds um, uh, My experience is If you're able to concentrate Just on your breath without any expectations, just feeling it, listening to it, um, it takes maybe 50 or 60 breaths um, to to sink into a light trance. And then you can keep going from there if okay. you want.
1: Okay. <clears throat> and uh, I know movement is uh, an, another method. Um, I remember seeing a video once of uh, uh, a, a teacher who a uh, oh, long story. Uh, but anyway, she had this video of these people in the Middle East who were uh, doing ritual. Uh, it was some sort of indigenous people. I don't think they were Islamic. And they were actually sort of throwing their head forward and back, forward and back, forward and back, forward and back. And there was, of course, drumming uh, happening, too. And uh, that I I'm sure that must have been trans inducing, um, if they didn't, you know <laughs> uh if, if that didn't just make them incredibly dizzy. Um, have you ever seen that? I, I I wonder, Laura.
2: Um, I don't know about that particular ritual, but yeah, um any kind of rhythmic movement that you don't have to think about. If you have to think about it, if it's a complicated dance step and you're thinking, Oh gosh, where does my foot go now? then then that's going to blow the whole um, getting into a trance state. Um, but if it's, if it's a simple movement that you don't have to think about, even just rocking, you know, sitting there and rocking back and forth, whether there's drumming in the background or not, um, if you allow that, if you do that long enough, you'll trance. So, yeah, um, so, any kind of movement that's so not so complicated that it's distracting.
1: Okay. I am. Well, and you mentioned yesterday, like the whirling dervishes
2: who turn, 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 turn. Right. Yeah, that's. Yeah. I've experimented oh. with twirling a little bit. <laughs> it's, it's an interesting way to reach trance.
1: So, um, it, uh, have we covered them all, or uh, are there others?
2: Oh gosh, I'm sure there's more. I'm sure there's some that I don't even know about. Um, but I think those are the major. Those are the major inroads that most people start with.
1: Okay. Um, now, can somebody get there doing uh, guided meditation journeys um, or it, or these other methods easier? It
0: because depends
3: on you what, think what you're trying to much. do.
2: It depends. Um, yeah,
3: I it, would... depends on the
2: specific, it depends on the specific meditation. Um, but yeah, yeah frequently the, ki- yeah. the kinds of meditations where someone says picture yourself in a field and all that kind of thing, yeah, that um, that will keep you. Um, that's a different kind of journey. It's not. It's not the kind of trance that we're
3: talking about
1: right right well i i know that uh you know the experience i keep referring back to it started with a meditation where uh it was a small circle of women and in front of us was this chair that we had turned into a throne, uh, a nice, comfortable chair with beautiful scarves and furs. And we were supposed to imagine that that was the throne of the goddess. And the, the meditation was all about that you know getting to the to be in front of the goddess on her throne and the way this aspecting happened was the person who was leading that meditation and here we were all focused on this empty beautiful chair she would tap you on the shoulder when it was your turn and you were supposed to go sit in the chair and aspect the goddess who you, you know, believed was her throne. Um, And for me, of course, it was Isis. And what was interesting about it was, uh, you know, as I said yesterday, I really did not expect to be able to do this at all, at all, at all. Uh, But I, you know, I didn't want to interrupt the ritual by saying, no, I don't want to go, I can't do this. Uh, So I just... You know, I just went with it and trusted the trusted the situation. I go sit in the throne chair, and it was it was weird because it was like as soon as I sat in the throne chair, I had this um, uh, intuitive sensation that uh, I, I I put my arms underneath all the beautiful fabrics on both sides of the chair and I crossed my two arms over in front of me. Like you see that ISIS pose so often where she's got her two wings crossed in front of her. And now none of this mm-hmm. was planned. I mean, this, this sort of just spontaneously happened and it felt like that was a trigger for some reason. But again, that, uh, that whole thing, um, you know, I don't know where that came from, you know, and then, Uh, I I had this sense that she was there and she was speaking through me and I think there were like maybe five other women in the room and I can still remember like it was yesterday, I looked at each woman eyeball to eyeball uh, and said something along the lines of, you know, you are all daughters, you're doing uh, my work even though you follow different paths. And um, that's all I really remember. If there was more, I don't remember it. Um, but um, it was quite an incredible experience, you know. And, and what we have said before when we spoke, you know, when we were thinking about doing the show, that I, 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 you know, and I haven't done it yet, but I should probably look to see if that arm-crossed position is maybe an ancient posture, Um you know, maybe that that in itself was some sort of a trigger or, or posh, ecstatic posture like you were talking about.
2: Um, well, without the wings, it's the Osiris pose. But with the wings, it's something different. And um, isn't Isis shown like crossing her wings like that as a sign of protection over people in Egyptian art? Um, well, you know,
1: you see her with the arms outstretched to either side. Right. And now this cr- in this crossed pose, the arms are in a downward position, not crossed in front of you like up at the top of your torso like okay. you'd see Osiris. Yeah, the, this, is, this is the arms, you know, fingers pointed to the floor kind of a thing, and the arms crossed in front of you. Um, Interesting. So it's a little bit different. Yeah, yeah, um, but it, but in in but getting back to how this was all triggered in that class, it started with that meditation. Interestingly, um, but um, but I can see I think where some of these other methods might actually be easier because you know you don't have to focus on. Um, you know, going along with the guided meditation.
2: Right, right. Well, yeah. um, And it depends on what you're aiming for, too, because um, you could start out with just general trance, with just the, the goal of learning to reach that mind state, and then when you are pretty good at that, then you could uh, decide to go into trance one day in order to connect with a particular deity, or uh, in order to do it as uh, trance possession in a ritual.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, well, in going back to the well, uh, you know, the things that deity tells you, uh, or 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 uses your voice to speak. Um, there were a lot of examples in um, the book, you know, Lifting the Veil. Um, some of them seem to have, um, a, a, you know, a similar ring to it in the sense that all of these deities seem to be worried about the earth, the condition of the earth. Um, yeah, well... <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, it, it, but I, I'm just wondering. Um, I mean, I'd love to know more about your experiences. What you feel comfortable sharing, and, and is that the kind of message you get too, or um,
2: you know, share yeah, with us I, what you
1: feel comfortable sharing.
2: Yeah, I I do get um, from a number of different deities that I do journey work with the the general concern. Um, is that there are problems that we're not addressing very well and that we have the potential to do so much better. Um, I almost feel like sometimes it's a parent looking at a child that they're kind of disappointed in and saying, you have so much potential, why can't you live up to it? Um, Yeah. But, I mean, there, there are... Some of us who are doing our best to live up to it, I guess um, it just depends on whether there are ultimately enough of us doing that.
1: Yeah, and I mean the reality is, um, you know, folks like us, we can only do so much. You know, um, yeah. we don't, um, we don't, we don't control what goes on out there. We can vote. We can, uh, you know, support groups that are trying to do good work, but ultimately. Um, you know, well, somehow we have to figure out how to get rid of people in power who don't give a shit. Um, don't mean to get sidetracked there, but
0: <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: well, why don't um, why don't you know we uh, we're a little bit after the hour, um, but uh, but there's time if you want to, you know, maybe share one or two experiences um, you've maybe had uh, when you've uh, gone into trance, Laura.
2: Um, well, I did. I've done uh, transposition on purpose and not on purpose, um, repeatedly in ritual. Um, there was one time, um, the first time I ever actually did the charge of the goddess uh, in a Wiccan circle, um, we had done, um, I was in a, an eclectic Wiccan coven at that point, and we were more creative than some of the uh, more traditional uh, Wiccan paths. And at one point I was priestessing a circle and I decided to do the charge of the goddess uh, for that ritual. And um, I was not intending to call a deity into me at that point or have my priest do it. Um, I was just speaking. Um, and it was a ritual in which the goddess that we called was Demeter, and about halfway through the charge, suddenly it was she was the one talking, not me. Um, and that felt I was startled for just a split second, and then all of a sudden it felt so familiar and so comfortable and just absolutely the right thing. And I just let her keep talking. And she said stuff after the end of the charge that I don't even remember. Um, But afterwards, um, my priest came up to me and said, you know, while you were doing that, I could see right through you. He meant that I had become, like, semi-transparent in the middle of the ritual. Wow. Um, I certainly felt not myself. um, But it was a very positive experience. Um, for for the most part except for the one when Sulis Minerva startled me and I said no Um, all of my experiences uh, of transpossession in circle have been positive but I think that's largely because um, I had some good training to start with Um, it's definitely not something to experiment with until you have the basics down Um, just because the gods are their own beings, you know, and they don't always follow your rules. Maybe they didn't read your ritual and they decided to do it differently, and you need to uh, need to be able to uh, to go with the sudden changes in the script sometimes, yeah, which can be very yeah. in- very interesting. <laughs>
1: Well, some good resources, um, well, we you know, for two days now we've been talking about Lifting the Veil. That was a good book, uh, but I have to say it, it was not the easiest read. Um, it was dense. It was dense, but there was a lot there. You'd have to, you know, take it in bits and pieces and maybe go back a few times. You mentioned Diana Paxson's book was another good one. Um, do you remember the title of that one, Laura?
2: Yeah, it's called Trans. Portation. The word trance, and then hyphen portation. It's the book that I recommend to people who want to learn um, the basics of trance and don't have uh, an actual teacher, a living teacher to work with. Um, it's uh, Diana Paxson is uh, a Norse uh, pagan, but the uh, the methods that she presents in the book are pretty generic and applicable to uh, a wide variety of different settings so it's a great resource
0: and,
1: and that, uh, tell us that website again you mentioned yesterday because they have some good books on that website that show ecstatic postures as well as there are some drumming um,
2: CDs
1: that come with one of the books um, uh, what was that website again?
2: Oh, you mean the Kayamanga Institute? And I have no idea whether I'm pronouncing that correctly. And it's spelled really weird. Um, C-U-Y-A-M-U-N-G-U-E, I think. Um, it might be easier just to look up uh, Belinda Gore's excellent book, Ecstatic Postures. Um, it's out of print, but thrift Books and all the other uh, used booksellers have copies. It's not usually very hard to find. Um, it's, uh, it's a great resource that explains how simple trance works And how ecstatic postures can be used in trance To connect with specific um, deities or for specific purposes um, The one caveat that I will add is that the cycladic posture that she uses in there um, After we've experimented with it in the Minoan context um, Turns out she does it wrong And that's absolutely not her fault Um, the museums display all the Cycladic figurines standing up because it's easier to see them that way if you're a museum visitor but every single one of them that was found in a grave rather than in the workshops where they were made they were all found lying down on their backs and that's the way you're supposed to do that posture Um, Hmm. but yeah otherwise it's, it's an incredible resource it's a great book
1: Okay. Um, well, I have to do one thing here, um, Laura, and then uh, I want to come back and wrap up with um, the uh, modern, uh, you know, the I mean, who's doing this sort of work now? You know, what other modern uh, pagan traditions um, are using this trance work? I mean, I know we talked about... Um, You know voodoo yesterday But um, let's talk about that To sort of wrap when we come back And of course I'll uh, give you Any last words Uh, But uh, For just a moment here uh, Listeners I'm going to play for you Something from a review uh, Of Joe Carson's book Celebrate Wildness Uh, Okay so this is From Celebrate Wildness
3: Celebrate Wildness has practical instructions on in how to make your own fairy ring henge, how to magically restore any place to its original wild harmony, how to feel the shapes of the earth as if they really are a part of your own body, and even how to initiate yourself into the Farrah, Farrah path. From early Farrah, Farrah member John Beggs. What a beautiful, inspired, and inspiring book this is. The text is a delight, augmenting, interpreting, and celebrating the drawings that the singer sometimes adds another dimension of understanding to a musical composition. It has the glow, glory, and joy of a masterpiece. Celebrate Wildness is an oversized, hardbound book on heavy paper. It is written by filmmaker Joe Carson, who made the film Dancing with Gaia.
2: You can get it for $45 from the Farifaria website at farifaria.org. That's F E R A F E R I A dot org.
1: So that's for everyone, but especially for those of you who feel called uh, to the fairy faith. Alright, um, so uh, Laura, just to sort of wrap up, um, where are we seeing maybe the most trance happening in our pagan or Wiccan communities that you're aware of?
2: Um, I'm sure there is, well, there's the, obviously the revival um, of it in Wicca uh, that Janet and Gavin and, and uh, related leaders are kind of trying to, uh, t- trying to bring about, and I suspect that's going to continue growing. Um, there's uh, North Paganism, um, the uh, Diana Paxson people and, and some other groups have started doing Sather again, which is, um, which is North uh, Transpossession, uh, they've reconstructed, it's a revival of, of what was done uh, centuries ago, um, and so that, that's direct Transpossession of the type that Janet and Gavin talk about in their books. Where you've got the uh, the priestess on the seat, and the deity uh, comes into her and um, speaks to the people who are there um, for the ritual, um, and that's that's really exciting. Um, and obviously, the African syncretic traditions have never stopped doing it. Um, so you've got uh, the voodoo and uh, Lucumi and candomblé and all the related ones. Um, that's, that's something that they have as a, a continuous tradition. Um, and uh, in modern Minoan paganism, we're also uh, doing transpossession. It's not a requirement ever, um, but for people who are comfortable doing it, uh, we're pretty sure the ancient Minoans did it. There are... Uh, it's if any figures on the Minoan seal rings that suggest the idea of a deity coming down into a priest or priestess. Um, so, um, so that is a part of our practice as well. So okay. it's
1: happening. Um, uh, and, you know, I forgot uh, one of the things Janet and Gavin talked about was another method where they used a mirror, Uh, or reflection, which sort of reminded me of scrying uh, a little bit. Um, But uh, do you know much about that
2: mirror work? Um, I'm mostly familiar with the scrying aspect of it. I have not done trance work with a mirror, so I can't really speak to that. But I can certainly see how it could be used. Um, especially under certain kinds of settings, light light conditions and things like that.
1: Right, right. Okay, um, well, um, I give you the last word here, how, um, you know, uh, I'll let
2: you do the wrap. <laughs> okay, um, so uh, explore transpossession responsibly, um, uh, seek out... Uh, all of the resources that we've suggested here talk to people uh, about it because it's, it's coming um, it's, it's an ancient thing. It's part of our heritage as human beings um, and and so it's definitely something that needs to have a place in our modern spiritual practice.
1: Okay, and uh, oh and I found the, the link for that uh, cool. Uh, Kuya Institute. Um it was yeah, on the email no you sent me, how Laura. It's pronounced. <laughs> yeah, 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 you probably haven't heard it and neither have I. But it's spelled, uh, for listeners out there who want to go look it up. Um C U Y A M U N G U E Institute dot com. And uh Laura, you also have some uh articles out there. Uh, about aspecting uh, aspecting the goddess on witches and pagans. Um, is there an easy way to find those articles of yours uh, through your website or something?
2: Um, well, if you go to the witches and pagans uh, website, the Pagan Path, um, witchesandpagans.com is a, uh, a blog site that is run by the fabulous people who publish uh, Sage Woman and... Um, uh, and Witches and Pagans magazine. And so if you go to that website and look under Pagan Path Blogs, the Minoan Path is one of them, and that's the, all of my blogs posts there. Um, I've written several about ecstatic practices um, and a lot about what we're doing in modern Minoan paganism, um, both in terms of um, reviving, um, reviving the... Uh, the spirit, if not the specifics of ancient Minoan religion, and that includes um, transpossession. So.
1: Okay, and uh, and let's make sure we mention your website uh, because of all your great books and other work there, uh, lauraperryauthor.com, Laura Perry dot com L A U R A. P-E-R-R-Y, author, autho Uh Well, Laura, thank you. Thank you for these two days and uh, for all the time you spent with me talking about this. Uh, I, I really appreciate it, and um, I will keep you posted on my endeavors uh, on this journey. All right. <laughs> all right. Well, all right. well you, uh, you have a, a good pleasure. week thank you thank you it has uh, i've enjoyed it well uh you take care of yourself and your family and stay safe and uh and until we meet here again
2: all right you too
1: all right bye bye okay Bye-bye. well that about does it for me um listeners uh, i want to thank you for tuning in i hope you will share this uh Uh, This weekend doubleheader with your friends, Um, and uh, I will be back with you on Friday, uh, Friday at eleven a.m. Remember, I mentioned that uh, the shows will be on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday uh, for the time being, uh, and then eventually we'll go back to uh, Wednesday mornings at eleven. All right, Uh, thank you very much. I am off to watch Outlander, and I hope you have a good evening. Bye bye.